Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590, and you can find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, it was a quieter week on both of the tours post Wimbledon. We're into the summer swing of the season. We had some smaller Canadian events this past week, and we had a handful of men's and women's hard court tournaments as well and for this episode we're very pleased to be joined by our special guest he's a Wimbledon champion in doubles a quarter finalist in singles he's reached a career high ranking of number 25 and after some time off from injury we're excited that he's back out on the courts we welcome Canadian Vasek Pospisil Vasek uh thank you so much for joining us this week yeah it's my pleasure thanks for having me guys absolutely well I know it's always uh Difficult returning from injuries, and in your case, uh, a surgery uh, with your back, but you were able to make a return and compete at Wimbledon, and now we're into the summer swing, as I mentioned. Uh, how is the body feeling in general, and, and how good is it to be just back out competing on the tour? Yeah, the, the, it feels great, to be honest. I, I really missed it. You know, it's the first time I've had such a long layoff. Uh, my first, uh, hopefully, and last surgery of my career so it was uh, yeah definitely strange being away but i'm i'm happy to be back and the body body is uh it's holding up the back feels good but but i'm having you know a few other issues which is uh i guess natural being away from competition for so long so the body's not quite used to the pounding but um in general i'm, I'm just happy to be back and and uh the body's holding up and doing what what uh, what it needs to at least for now <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I guess in that process maybe uh, of returning is is a lot of it now maybe just kind of gaining trust in, in your movements and, and your body just on the court, sort of reactionary movements now that uh, you are playing again like match compete mode rather than just, just practicing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, uh, that's it right there. You know, also there's a different intensity when you're playing um, – competition you know matches versus practice matches so i think that's i've i've only had one one match back which which you know definitely isn't enough and and um to really test the body you need to kind of go through this period where you're playing uh tournaments and and um you know i think that's that's the only time you can really replicate the intensity uh that you need to but but for the time being you know i'm I'm moving relatively well but like like you said you know that's in practice and and um yeah so it's definitely a bit of a process coming back Vashik, how tough is it to rejoin the tour when the rest of the fields had six to seven months of competition already under their belt? I mean, you talk about how you've, you've had one match back. That was against Felix Auger-Aliassime, one of the hottest players on tour this year. Um, and, and did facing him make it any more difficult, being that obviously you know each other so well? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's definitely tough because, I, I mean, like I said, this is my first layoff and there's there's just, there are a ton of questions, you know, my question marks going on in my head, like, how is it going to be coming back? How is, you know, since it's the first time that I've, I've you know, been away from the tour for eight months. So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm super motivated and I'm confident that, that I'll, you know, get my ranking back up, but you can never really be sure, right? So you always have these these doubts, but but uh but at the same time you know i'm training really well and i'm i'm hitting a good ball so i'm sure i'll come back uh and hopefully better than ever and you know i'm playing felix was definitely uh an interesting uh <laughs> comeback match i think the toughest part about playing felix actually was was just cuz he's you know he's one of the most physical guys on tour which is saying a lot considering he's only 18 and 
I remember joking before the tournament with my team saying, you know, it'd be good to play somebody that wasn't, that isn't as very physical, you know, to kind of, but, and then the draw came out and we were kind of laughing about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the same time, it was kind of nice to play a friend uh, and Canadian, a first match back. We've seen this year um, with Andy Murray in particular, just how scary an injury can be to an athlete where at one point it appeared as though his career was even unlikely to continue. How serious was the surgery that you had to go through? And was there any worry at, at any point about whether or not you'd be able to resume playing at the same high level you've been accustomed to? Uh, well, definitely. I mean, I think anytime, uh, I mean, like I said, okay, it's my first surgery, but I think anytime you're going under the knife and you're getting operated, you know, there's always a risk, right? Especially when you're dealing with the lower back and you, you, you hear all these stories of guys going, getting operations and then, you know, coming back and never really quite playing at the high level that they played at before. So of course there was, uh, a lot of, you know, there was some, some anxiety about that. And, and even now, right. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, but, uh, but I mean, I had a great surgeon and, and right now the, the body responded extremely well. So I'm grateful for that. But, uh, for sure, it's 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 always scary, you know, when you're going to to operate. So, so uh, especially, I guess, when you're talking about lower back or hips or, um, I guess, any operation really. But but I'm just I'm just grateful that I'm pain free right now. So I take it day by day. And I think uh, we're grateful as well. I have so many wonderful memories of watching you on the watching you on the court, particularly in the single side in 2014, reaching that career high, doing so well. Uh, you mentioned that you're hitting a good ball. It feels like. Are you setting any certain goals in your return, kind of for the latter half of this season, in, in terms of results, or is it really sort of a day by day, week by week type of process? Yeah, it's it's a week by week process, of course. I think the the main thing is just trying to concentrate on improving and getting the high level back. And obviously, once that's back, the ranking won't be there because I've I've been out for so long, and and that'll take care of itself. So I'm trying not to think about the ranking, even though it's hard not to. I mean, I I do do want to get back, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. But that's not the way you got to look at it. Right? You have to look at the process and the process will take you to, to that ranking where you, where you, where you belong. So uh, it'll definitely be, I'll definitely have to be very patient uh, for the next, you know, half, half year, year or so. And, and just uh, trust that, uh, that it'll take me to, to, you know, back to the top 50 because that's, you know, still where I want to go. And I feel like I still have my best tennis ahead of me and um, just can't get ahead of myself. It's just really get, going on the court and working hard every day and, and staying motivated, that's the key. I mean, if you have the motivation, then then uh, anything is possible when you put in the hours. If you're not motivated, then, you know, you can hope and dream all you want, but it's not going to take you anywhere. Uh, I think uh, w- one thing that's been great to see, certainly uh, on the men's tour, and we had the opportunity a bit over a month ago to speak with Kevin Anderson, who, who's an example of an older player uh, sort of reaching his best years uh, at an older age. And you're still just 29, um, not into your 30s yet. And we have 10 players uh, above 30 in our top 20 right now. Is that also just inspiring to know that uh, these days it seems like men uh, and women can really extend their careers and play longer on the tennis court? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially looking at Roger, who's 37 and he's uh, playing as good as ever. And and in general, I guess, you know, the the average age of the top top guys is going up. I guess that comes with, you know, advancements in science, sports science and injury prevention and medicine and everything and the fitness and you name it. So 
that's definitely encouraging because I know 10 years ago, I, if, if I'd be looking at my age 29 and thinking, you know, maybe it's, uh, I got only a couple of years left in me, but, but right now I'm pretty optimistic with, uh, with still having some good years in front and, and uh, I'm not sure how many that'll be, but I know that, that, uh, you know, I'm staying optimistic and, and positive and I, I really do believe, you know, deep down that, that I am not done and I have my best tennis ahead. I feel like I'm improving every year and it's just about keeping the body healthy and, and getting fit. You know, right now you're seeing these guys as tennis is just so physical. If you're, if you're, if you're covering the court and you're, you have good endurance and, and you've done, you've done the work in the gym, then, um, I mean, that translates on the court, I think more than ever right now. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. And our guest for this episode is Canadian tennis player Vashik Pospisil. Obviously, for Canada, we have uh, really the biggest event of the year just two weeks away, Rogers Cup. Uh, for you, where would that rank in terms of important events on the calendar? And uh, how excited will you be uh, to make your return? Yeah, I mean, that Rogers Cup is just right up there for you know, one of the most important ones for me, obviously it's a master's event, which in and itself is, uh, is, is a huge <laughs> prestigious tournament, but it's also in Canada and it's a great opportunity to kind of use the, the home crowd to your advantage and, and just really enjoy, uh, being out there. And I think for me, it's, it honestly must be top three, top three, four events of the year with Wimbledon, uh, us open, Rogers Cup. I think those are the those are probably the three in Aussie Open. So it definitely means a lot to me, and and it's it's probably the one that one of the the events that I enjoy the most. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and I'm hoping that I can be be sharp and healthy and get a couple matches uh, under my belt before uh, before competing there. Got to ask you about favorite memories over the years in either Montreal or Toronto at the Rogers Cup. But first, I'm going to offer up my own, which was watching a very young version of yourself and Milos Raonic take on Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal in doubles back in, I can't even believe it, that was back in 2010, <laughs> that really captivated the, uh, the crowd and in some ways kind of revealed what Canadian tennis fans had to get excited about uh, down the road. Did that match have any special significance for you and what are your top Rogers Cup memories? Oh, yeah, it definitely did. I mean, it, it definitely did. That was, uh, it was... Uh, very special match. It's funny because I just had a conversation with Novak's uh, coach about that about that match a few weeks ago, and and uh, yeah, we, we were kind of joking around about it. And he had mentioned how hard that how hard Novak and Rafa had taken taken it after they lost because <laughs> it was kind of a historic match, right? They got together the first time in I don't know how many years that the one and two player in the world uh, were playing doubles together, and and so they were saying that they felt a lot of pressure as well. So yeah, but it was it was cool. I think that one was. Uh, I mean, that was kind of, this, I'm thinking the first, you know, really amazing Rogers Cup experience for me. And then I think after that, it was also just getting my first, uh, I think it was my first ATP match win was against Chela, uh, possibly the, the following year, and then playing Roger on center court in the second round. And then, of course, uh, the, you know, the semifinals in 2013, that was still to this day one of the one of the top two, three highlights of my career. You and uh, Milos definitely helped bring Canadian tennis on the men's side to a different level back then. And now it's safe to say that the talent level in Canada has risen to, to a whole other uh, level, even beyond that with uh, the way that the, the depth has sort of revealed itself. You've known these young phenoms like Felix, Dennis, Bianca for some time now. 
Did you expect that they would come about as they have this year, or is this even somewhat surprising to you? Um, it, it's, I mean, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said uh, that I wasn't surprised a little bit. I mean, I knew they they had tremendous potential, but but uh, I mean, I, I did think it would take a little bit longer than it has for them to get up to the top twenty, thirty. I mean, it's what they've done is incredibly impressive, particularly. I mean, especially how Felix is playing. Uh, I mean, he's still only 18 years old, and he's almost a top 20 player. So that's pretty pretty incredible. I mean, uh, the, I mean, right from you know the first time I saw these guys play, obviously I was, I mean, very impressed and knew they would they would get up there. Uh, it was just that it would just be a matter of time. But it's definitely impressive that they are able to do so at such a young age because it requires a lot of uh, there are a lot of intangibles that you need to to make it at the top of the sport, not just you know, the potential and flashy games and, and strokes, but you need maturity and, uh, you know, playing under pressure and f- being physically fit. And and so they've shown already at 18 and 19 that uh, that they they have what it takes, which is super impressive because it'll only get better. And I know, look, it might be a little bit of a ways away, but you have to think with such an incredibly strong Canadian contingent uh, that expectations for Davis Cup, would would they be fairly high this year? And are you hopeful to, to play there and uh, be the anchor for doubles if you can? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's, it's natural to, to look at the Canadian team as a dangerous team and you know, one of one of the favorites. I mean, if, I, if you think about you know, top five, six teams that could win it. I mean, I think Canada, if everyone's healthy, Milo, Stanis, Felix, and, and, and of course myself, uh, I would lo- love to be healthy and ready for that. And, you know, we'll have four very, very good uh, players that can play both singles and doubles. So I think it'll be exciting. I mean, I think everyone, everyone's excited for it and it's indoors, which, which will, which will uh, be good for us as well. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that, uh, that, and everybody's healthy. I mean, that's that's the main thing. And uh, in your time away, I, I know one of your focuses has been uh, activism, advocacy that that's really emerged in terms of player rights and, and some need to fix things that are broken with our system. Uh, the topic of politics and ATP has been talked about a lot this year to a level that I personally don't think I've seen before. Without sort of rehashing everything and all the issues we have in the system, what are some of just your biggest concerns uh, and your vision for the ATP tour that you can maybe share with our listeners going forward? What are you really hoping to achieve? Well, uh, I mean, my my biggest concern is that the players have pretty much no say in anything ATP tour. I mean, it's it, it, they they do. Uh, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. It's not not really a democracy. It's an illusion of a democracy, and it's actually the the masters events and the big the the big events that are just running the show. And and uh, unfortunately, with with the way that the structure is, I mean, the De- Deloitte's made a, a report of of our governance structure and, and called it a complete you know disaster. That they've never seen anything like it. And uh, and unfortunately, all that is aimed towards. Uh, um, you know, going to the tournament's favor. So it's it's uh, what I would what I would like and what I'm fighting for. And it's really not easy because just the the way things are is is that uh, I would like players to have legal representation that that look out solely for the players' best interests. I mean, we don't have that. We've been denied that. The ATP and the and obviously the big Masters events and tournaments that are more or less influencing 
management and everything, they're doing everything they can to, to make sure that we, we don't have this uh, ability to just come to the table to negotiate with the events and, and, and have leverage on both sides and come to compromise from both sides and come to a fair, fair deal. That's just, that's non-existent right now. And, and it's really, it's really sad and actually sickening for me to be part of it and see, see, uh, see it at play. You know, there's, and then, and then you wonder why, you know, players that are outside of the top hundred are making any money. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a sport that's so global, makes billions of dollars. I mean, it's impossible that the only top 100 players can make a living. I mean, there's, it's, it just shows uh, how, how um, you know, it needs to be fixed. The system needs to be fixed. I mean, but the, the money is there. It's just, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad to see guys that are 130, 150 in the world that are uh, breaking even or losing money or, or, you know, having, having, needing sponsors and shouldn't, shouldn't happen. You've talked about this big conflict between the players and the tournaments and how it seems like it's almost an impossible deadlock to break the way the setup of the ATP is with, with many active tournament directors being former players like James Blake, Tommy Haas, even Feliciano (laughs) Lopez, who is still an active ATP player. Would that not give some hope of progress at all in this regard? Or do the tournament directors not wield any actual power or ability to bridge the gap between the two sides. Yeah, unfortunately, they don't wield any power whatsoever. I mean, it's. I think the tournament directors. It's. It's. It's a way for the tournaments to make it seem player friendly. They. It's smart of them to, to hire former players as tournament directors in a lot of ways because um, when you're when you're a player and you're not on the council and you're not uh, dealing with with the real issues that you know on a daily basis, you don't really know what's what's going on behind the scenes and you, you want to trust the system and you want to trust the management and the, and the tour that they're doing right by the players and, and tournaments together. But, but um, it's, it's really the scrap. We, we get, we get the scraps. It's like the little things like, Oh, great. We get, you know, another plate of food and we get, uh, but, but at the end of the day, um, the, you know, tournament directors don't really have any power and it's just, yeah, there's. I could talk about this for for hours, and it's it's been it's been frustrating for me because I'm really passionate about it, and and um, it's yeah, it's 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 not it hasn't it's definitely taken its toll on me emotionally, and, uh, because it's um, yeah, it's something I believe in, and and I know, uh, I know how how hard it is to make it in the sport, and how much you have to sacrifice, and how many amazing players there are. Uh, worldwide, how how competitive the sport is, how much money it's making at the Masters level, the Grand Slam levels, and and then uh, then it's it's you know it's not not re- and then comparing to other sports even um, that have better better organizations or that are maybe you know more fair towards some of their athletes. Obviously, it's no, there's no perfect world. There are a lot of sports that are maybe even worse than tennis, but but um, you know the only thing that will really help that at this point is a is a player union. But uh, that's a whole other topic. Uh, yeah, no, we're, well, we're obviously so pleased that uh, you're continuing this fight because it, it seems so important. And we obviously have no transparency whatsoever uh, amongst tournaments in terms of prize money, revealing these financials. Would you say, uh, just in speaking out, would you say most of the players on the tour are are at all sort of aware of or interested in these issues the same way that you are? Or is that also part of the problem? Oh no! It's definitely part of the problem is there's not enough interest. But the thing is, it's 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 natural because 
I mean, to, to, to make it, to make it at this, at this level, I mean, you're really, you're running your own business and you're, you're spending, I mean, you're spending so much time and energy uh, to improve your game and take it to the next level and being professional. And I mean, you're, I mean, it's eight, eight hour days or nine hour days with physio and fitness and psychology and training and everything. It's only, you know, it's natural for, to, to, to not have enough energy to worry about all the, 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 the business side of tennis and everything. And there's not, unfortunately there are not enough players that are interested in it, but it's, it's also understandable to a certain degree because you're just, you know, people only have so much energy. And I think that's where the last six, six to eight months that I've been injured, I had a little bit more time, time on my hands to, to, to dig into some of the issues of the politics in Canada. And I mean, sorry, in, in tennis and, and I think that's also why I've learned a little bit more than, than maybe some of the other players. These issues appear to be so sort of straightforward and clear-cut the way that you, you know, describe <laughs> them. And you'd imagine that the players would all be sort of united in their fight for these improvements. Why is it then, Vashik, that we see, you know, players leaving the council before their term is up and, and a player, you know, group that seems so divided in some ways? Uh, well, it's, it's a very complicated, very complicated matter. It's, it's, uh, I mean, there there have been some very very dirty politics, dirty uh, <laughs> things going on, which which uh, are you know, and I think some of the players just kind of had had enough of it, and and uh, right now, I mean, tennis is 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 in turmoil, and um, you know, so uh, I, I, I to be honest, it's it's a tough question for me to answer. I mean, I know one of the guys, a couple of the guys I spoke to before after they left, they gave me their reasons, which. Which um, you know, I, I don't think I'm at liberty to, sh- to share because it's it's their 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 voice. But but um, yeah, I mean, those are questions better asked asked to them. But at the same time, I'll just say that that you know, there have been very it's just too too much politics and um, and also just not enough not enough power, not enough to you know say to actually affect any change from the player side. And I think a lot of guys got frustrated by the whole process and and um, decided to just step down. Well, thank you for shedding a little bit of insight just overall. I feel like we could do like a three-hour podcast just on tennis politics. But let's get back to some uh, sort of positive tennis news on the court, um, although we do value uh, certainly the fight that you're putting forward on this, this big topic. But uh, in the aftermath of the most recent Grand Slam, can you share your thoughts on that uh, Djokovic victory over that epic victory over Roger Federer at Wimbledon? You must have watched that match. Yeah, I did. Well, it was such a long match. I watched parts of it because I actually got a whole pra- I got a whole practice in while they were playing. So <laughs> I saw the beginning and the end. But uh, I mean, I I just yeah, it was amazing to watch. I, I mean, they they were playing such a high level all the way to the end, and and I, I was just extremely impressed that uh, well, for one one thing that Novak handled the situation the way he did because he had obviously you know match points down and the whole stadium the whole world really cheering for roger and and um it was pretty impressive that he he kept this cool and and all the way all the way to the end and obviously it was unfortunate for roger because he he was playing incredible tennis and and it's amazing um the the margins how small they were at the end you know just one shot um decided uh the, the title so it was it was fun to watch and i was just i was just impressed with with the mental strength of Novak that he showed. I'm sure you've been asked about these 
players many times, but uh, we do have three players now who've scooped up the last 11 Grand Slams. They have 54 between them. Is the level that the big three of, of Nadal, Djokovic, Federer playing at, is it just a cut above? Is there a mental edge they have maybe over the rest of the tour? How can they be just this incredibly dominant, do you think? Uh, well, I think when you get this dominant, it's there's you know more than just one thing. I, I think one of the things that stands out to me is just how physically strong they are. All three of them, I mean, they never get tired. It's It's incredible. They play... They play five sets, 40-ball rallies, and, and they're still just as fresh in the 40th ball as they were in the first first shot of the rally. So, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that, that separates them for sure from the rest of the pack. I mean, that, that's you, especially being being a, a tennis player myself, playing at the high level and knowing uh, what a huge, huge role the, that plays um, uh, in the sport. Tennis is so physical, and it's, it's I mean, I, I can just even to use my own game for an exa- as an example when i'm you know fresh early on in the point i'm just you know you just feel making the right decisions and you can really uh you know rush things and and you're feeling good and <laughs> these guys are feeling great in the fifth set so i mean i think that's one of the things that definitely separates them they also have the level i mean they're so it's that and a combination of just having you know no real weaknesses and and um so it's, they're tough guys to beat i mean you obviously you have to to do it over five sets over a grand slam um, when they're the fittest guys on tour and also, you know, arguably the, the uh, most complete players, then, then you're, it's a tough task ahead of you. You've got to pull up, pull up some kind of a miracle. So the rest of the tour just kind of subtly suggesting to them that, Hey, maybe retirement would be a nice option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe they should uh, retire. So let, let somebody else win a couple, a couple of grand slams. <laughs> Hey, Vashik, just before we end off with you, you're back, um, you know, hopefully playing some uh, some ITF tennis, uh, you know, before the Rogers Cup. What, what's it like to be back in these smaller communities and, and smaller tournaments where there's a, a huge group of, of mostly younger Canadian players? Uh, must be uh, kind of interesting to be back in that environment for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm back in Granby right now. Uh, I actually, it's been seven years since since I played here last time. I remember I, I won this Challenger in 2012, and I haven't been back since. So it's kind of it's funny b- being back here, and it, it feels really good. I mean, I always I love playing tournaments in Canada in general, and it's uh, definitely a different different feeling being out here. There's so many young guys. I don't really know anybody. It's like <laughs> it's really funny, but but uh, it's cool. Yeah, seeing some of the the young the young up and coming Canadian guys. I mean, I feel like the level is, is, uh, you know, rising tremendously in, in, in Canada right now. I mean, I, I remember coming to these tournaments, like I said, seven to 10 years ago, and there'd be one or two Canadians that, that played a, a, you know, reasonably high level. And now there, there are like six, seven, eight guys here that are all playing really well. So I think the, it just shows that uh, tennis in Canada is definitely picking up and booming right now. Yeah, well, you've definitely been a part and an influence on that uh, rising level. Vashik, we want to thank you for joining us. The uh, Canadian tennis world's very happy to see you back on court. We're hoping that you'll be healthy and ready for uh, the Rogers Cup in both singles and uh, and hopefully doubles too. And no matter who you do end up playing doubles with, uh, guaranteed, I guess, that your partner this year will be considerably younger than uh, who you were uh, playing with last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I'm I'm excited. I, I miss Daniel. He's he's uh, he was one of my good buddies on tour, and 
but but uh, yeah, I think he's he's happy in retirement right now, and and I'm excited to play Rogers Cup. And like you said, I'll have a, a much younger partner this year. <laughs> well, we, we wish you good health and easy draws moving forward. Thanks again for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Take care. That was Canadian tennis player Vashik Pospisil, and uh, back on the court, returning obviously the lengthy layoff, his first serious injury really since being on the tour uh getting back surgery but uh, says he's pain-free which is great to hear and in granby canada right now to play uh, one of these challenger events and, and get tuned up and fresh get some match play and uh he'll be ready uh, for rogers cup in montreal it's so funny to me to see vashik now as like one of the veterans amongst the canadian contingency because <laughs> yes. you know 2010 and that doubles match with milos doesn't seem in some ways that long ago no and... no 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 it's not because he's one of the older guys per se at all on the tour it's just uh, our crop of canadians are incredibly young that's that's all it is. Um, but he also has longevity in his career. As you said, you, you know, reflecting back, back on matches from 2011-2012, he's uh, been here for a while, so knows the ins and outs of the tour. And uh, I think if he's feeling good, there's, there's no reason to see some good results coming his way for the remainder of 2019 and then building that ranking up even more for 2020. Yeah, he's had a career that I think a lot of people would definitely envy. And, uh, I mean, as he mentioned, he's still hoping to get uh, quite a bit more time out of it. So, you know, hoping that he's healthy and able to do that because I think in singles, like he said, you know, aiming for ideally back to the top 50 would be a realistic possibility for him if he can play a regular schedule. And uh, doubles, I mean, if he ever chose to get back into playing some more doubles, uh, a threat at, at any of the slams, as we saw with that uh, big Wimbledon victory a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, I, I have memories before he was uh, injured with the back issue in singles that he was sneaking inside the top 80, top 70s area, getting there and, and quickly making strides outside of the top 100. And then when he was playing more, uh, can always do damage in singles. Uh, of course, exceptional in doubles because he has great hands at the net. Um, very, very good serve. One of uh, the better servers on the tour for sure. So he has definite weapons in his game to be a, a solid quality singles player uh, and we know what he's capable in doubles uh, of of doing and as we touched on as well he's going to be so important for Canada and Davis Cup if we have the entire team healthy uh, come November in that new format absolutely now uh, let's uh, shift our focus here to the uh, start of the hardcourt swing in both the, the pro level tournaments and the uh, ITF and challenger level tournaments that we've had recently in Canada and uh, where do we want to start first in, in Gatineau last yeah, week I let's, suppose let's start in Gatineau because uh, look Vasha was just touching on this it's rare to see so many great Canadian players in a single challenger draw or an ITF here for example and, and we get an all Canadian final which is the first time ever at an ITF event that that's happened Layla Annie Fernandez, just 16 years old, capturing her first pro singles title. She defeated Carson Brandstein, 366162. Great that we've had both of them as a guest on this program. Uh, so fantastic to see that they uh, reached the final and Layla Annie Fernandez taking home the title. Uh, safe to say she made the right decision uh, bypassing Wimbledon this year and playing this ITF circuit on hardcourts. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is proving definitively that really she's done with juniors. There's no point in, in going back there and playing at that level anymore. More. It's not going to do her development any good. She's ready to play against these uh, these older players. She took out quite a few Canadians en route to the title. Uh, Carol Zhao, who only recently came back from injury, um, she she beat her rather handily. And then uh, Francoise Abanda, who uh, that one was a little bit closer, and and Francoise unfortunately had to retire with injury, uh, trailing in the second set. And then uh, the the final against Carson Brandstein, which was uh, a three set affair, but 
to be 16 years old and coming out of all of those matches on top to me displays just so much poise and uh and it's just um it's a wonderful continuation of some of the young talent like Bianca Andreescu who also has had success in Gatineau in the past that is now carried forward by Fernandez and I'm very excited I haven't seen her play live I I don't reckon many people probably have yeah uh, so it'll be great to see her at the Rogers Cup where she'll be getting a wild card either into qualifying or geez if she keeps this up maybe even into the main draw yeah it's possible and that, that's going to be a brand new face uh, that has to be on a radar for all Canadians you know we know about her but I, I still don't think uh, the tennis world quite knows about her yet she won the junior French Open earlier this season and as you mentioned she's just too good for juniors right now uh, she's ready to play that ITF circuit and already having fantastic success she also won in doubles with Rebecca Marino which is awesome and uh, yeah beating Abanda in semis three of the four semifinalists Canadian in, in Gatineau at the ITF so that's uh, terrific and I know we have another event uh, Vashik of course playing in Granby and uh, plenty of Canadians there too. Yeah I mean cool seeing Pospisil's name in in the draw we've already talked about him at length but uh, that definitely gives um, you know sort of a a boost in terms of I'm sure attendance and uh, a little bit of uh, notoriety Uh, you've got Peter Polanski as the second seed there he's got a buy into the second round 10 Canadian men in total there so uh, quite a few to go on and support and on the women's side, Leila Annie Fernandez uh, back at it again. She's in the top half of the draw. Francoise Abanda as well. And at the bottom, just this cluster of Canadian women where Catherine Sebov and Carol Zhao could conceivably meet in the second round. And Carson Brandstein and Rebecca Marino also in the second round in that quarter. So it's kind of unfortunate to get all the Canadians kind of drawing each other so early on, but also should be a lot of fun to watch as those uh, men and women are looking to peak for what most of them will be in is the qualifying draw at the Rogers Cup in Toronto and Montreal. And this is great preparation to uh, be under the spotlight, have some Canadian support and hopefully fine tune their games and and get ready to uh, you know break through to the main draw, which would be great to see a bunch of these young uh, players do. Yeah, absolutely. And for Rogers Cup, for a lot of these players uh, playing these types of ITF challenger events, Rogers Cup is going to be the biggest tournament on their schedule. It's that opportunity to play at a Masters 1000 if you're a male player in Canada or premier mandatory for the WTA. So it's a really big deal. And it's a uh, the biggest spotlight they're probably going to have for the entire season. I know Leila Annie Fernandez, of course, playing French Open. A few names. Rebecca Marino has handled that before, but you have other young names who have not seen that spotlight before, so it's a great opportunity. And prize money and ranking point, the potential, even if you make the main draw just to play one round, imagine even two for some of these players, would be career-changing to get that kind of financial reward and boost up into the rankings to help them out throughout the rest of 2019. Certainly would. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. I should note WTA this week. Pretty quiet week. We have the Palermo Ladies Open. Kiki Burtons is the top seed there. Anastasia Sevastova is the top seed at the Baltic Open in Latvia. We do have a 500 event in Hamburg, Germany on the ATP side couple good top seeds Dominic team Alexander Zverev uh, no Canadians in the field uh, in any men's draw this week but uh, for me pretty good opportunity for Sasha Zverev playing in the home country to find his footing a little bit he's been struggling John Isner's top seed in Atlanta in Stad we will have semi-finalists from Wimbledon Roberto Bautista Gut as the top seed and also to bit of news we had International Hall of Fame inductions for tennis which was great too yeah three fantastic players who got inducted Mary Pierce uh, Yevgeny Kafelnikov and uh, Lee Na 
all of whom, oddly enough, are two-time Grand Slam winners, which uh, by today's standards would put you into like the upper echelon of active players yes. because aside from Serena Williams and the big three, uh, you know, even having one slam is pretty hard to come by these days. But, you know, Mary Pierce, who we had on the program uh, back in the fall when she was an ITF representative at the Davis Cup tie between Canada and uh, Netherlands, I want to say. Yep. Uh, and uh, she spoke with us at length about her new role and just looked back at, at her career and what an interesting career it's been. You know, born in Montreal, raised in the United States, but then playing for France. So lots going on uh, with her and her two slam titles obviously standing out. Uh, and then Kafelnikov, former world number one, slams at the Aussie Open and French Open, Olympic gold medal two, which is uh, kind of a unique thing to add to your tennis yeah. resume. And Lee Na, I mean, not enough can be said about Lee Na, who just completely revolutionized tennis in Asia, being their first Grand Slam champion. And now we look to, you know, sort of passing that torch to uh, Naomi Osaka, in a sense, who undoubtedly grew up watching Lee Na and is going to have that same sort of effect for all sorts of youngsters growing up in that part of the world. So three very deserving players who uh, who went into the uh, Hall of Fame in Newport this week and... Uh, Great to see uh, that that well-deserved on, on all fronts there. Yeah, absolutely. All multiple Grand Slam champions with very impressive resumes. We mentioned last week we had another Rogers Cup ticket giveaway. Had a lot of likes, retweets, follows, which was fantastic to see. So we thank you all for uh, listening and uh, showing your presence on social media. That's great. So I know we have a winner to announce uh, from last week's episode. Yeah, and these are the only tickets we have for the uh, Coop Rogers in Montreal. So this will be for Monday, August 5th, the uh, evening session uh, where Denis Shapovalov is supposed to make his debut. And uh, the name that we are drawing this week is Sébastien Renault uh, at Morgo on Twitter. So félicitations, congratulations. <laughs> Enjoy the tickets. We will be in touch about that. And we're also very excited because we've got, and this is our last Rogers Cup ticket offering this week. Yes. And we've got two sets of platinum tickets. Platinum tickets, I've, I've got to look at the, the seating plan, but I'm assuming they're, they're quite low down. Yes. And so it's four tickets total, but split into two different sets. So we'll have two winners. This is for the daytime session in Toronto on Friday, August the 9th. This will be for the women's quarterfinals, which will be some great action. And um, how are we going to do the, uh, the giveaway this, this time? I think we decided uh, what you can do is below our episode or share with us on Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. For this week, we're going to ask you, give us your dream mixed doubles team. So two players, one male, one female, that you would love to see a mixed doubles partnership. Maybe it's happened before and you want to see it again. But uh, give us your dream partnership in mixed doubles and tell us why. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, you can always retweet the episode as well. But we want to hear the mixed doubles tandem that uh, you would love to see uh, from male and female. And uh, we will look back at all our favorites and uh, pick a winner for next week. Sounds good to me. So get, two winners, rather. Two winners, that's yes. right. So so get in on this one, folks, because it's the last set of tickets we have to offer, and we just want to say a quick thanks to Tennis Canada for providing us with those tickets. It's been a lot of fun to interact with some of our listeners, and uh, we're really stoked for you guys to go and uh, get to enjoy this first-class tennis in, in both cities in uh, just over, uh, what, a week and a half uh, from now? Yeah, it's coming up very, very quickly. August 3rd, I believe, is our first day for Rogers Cup in Toronto and Montreal. So uh, we are both very, very excited Thank you so much to Vashik Pospisil, our guest this week, Canadian tennis player. And uh, we will talk to you next time when we will be just one week away from Rogers Cup in both Toronto and Montreal.